0: Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast.
1: Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, with Sammy up in the cold barren wastes of the north of England i'll be hosting it in his absence my name is jack collins and it's another cold rainy depressing night in london town on which we'll be discussing an upsettingly similar evening on saturday where fulham limped to another 2-0 loss this time at home to london revels west ham united to try and lighten the mood i've assembled a team of fulhamish's finest who i'm hoping are going to work a lot harder this evening than the players they are about to discuss i'm joined by ben jarman hello everyone farrell monk shan Drew Heatley, hello, oh, Farrell. Really what was that, mate? What, what is that?
2: That's Polish for "good day." Oh, nice, yeah. educating. I yeah.
1: like it. Good, well done for Giving nice. a little
2: bit of European charm, unlike uh, the current government. But that's. A... <laughs> uh, we'll save that for a we'll different. Save that for a different, different podcast. Different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> John O'Farrell's
3: on another time.
1: In the um, in the absence of, of Secretary Jack Ben, would you would you be so kind as to start us off with some of our best three word reviews?
3: Sure, I've got a nice handful of them. So let's start with number one, which is Per Lund. And he says uh, defending is optional. Um, we'll follow that up with Greg Grimmer's clean sheet, please, which would be great. And then finally, we'll go for Samuel C. Stone's damp, dreadful derisory to finish off. It's pretty damning, I suppose. You could add, you could add if there was four words.
2: Very accurate, but as well. yeah. Very, very good. It was, it was horrible. One. Saturday, wasn't it? I wasn't yeah. wearing the right shoes and therefore I had wet and cold feet for the entirety of the game. Good. Well, before we go into Farrell's footwear choices and the rest
1: of the talking points from Saturdays, just quickly, Fulhamish this season is sponsored by Labrooks and for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Right, Farrell, what was it with shoes? Because I think <laughs> that's probably more interesting
2: than actually what happened in the game. <laughs> well, I mean... Considering how slippy our defence was, maybe the shoes I was wearing might have been a bit more, a bit more appropriate for, for the game out there. And it was, it was atrocious in the stands and it was atrocious to, to watch what was unfolding. The fact we're relying on, on most of our chances uh, to fall to Jack Collins' favourite player, Bubakar Kamara, shows the quality that we have in this team and I'm not really surprised he fluffed as many chances as he did. in that game well let's talk about these chances because there were kind of five big moments for
1: me in the first half that Fulham fluffed there was Kamara's one on one there's a Mitrovic header from a really nice Joe Bryan cross dink back into the the, Mm. the far post, and we'd be absolutely slating anyone else if they missed that so I'm not letting Mitch off the hook Kamara had a header which he did actually get on target and and did get down quite well but got saved by Fabianski Joe Bryan had one where at the back post he just basically didn't go for the ball and and the one that frustrated me I think maybe most uh, Andre Scherler beating a player actually getting into a decent shooting position for once in his life and instead of firing a shot off trying to play a a ball down a blind alley to Mitrovic I, I mean what did you make of it? Was it was it just bad finishing from everyone,
0: or, or were the deep were the problems deeper than that, Drew? For me, it the common denominator and all those missed chances, apart from perhaps Joe Bryan, who probably wasn't used to having a ball come to him in that position, is confidence. I think Sherlock at the beginning of the season had that his chest pumped out, puffed out. He was ready to go, and now I think he's he's slightly he's on his way down and he's a bit broken and I think the same goes for most of the players. I think don't you think even Mitro's immune and you know you see some of the reports this week which I think are probably nonsense he's he's looked, apparently meant to be unsettled so maybe that's another thing but I think the with Kamara I don't think maybe it's uh, confidence and maybe it's just a lack of a, a, a footballing brain but uh, for the rest of them yeah I think uh, we're all sort of stuck down in this mire and we can't get out of it and I think that's bound to affect people. You kind of need something to
1: kind of bounce your way I guess when when you're when you're down in the dumps like this and while you make your own luck in football, we didn't really get a, a, I any mean, sort of rub of the green on on Saturday either, Ben.
3: No, we didn't. We over the past uh, handful of games, we've had seventy one shots on target, and we've managed to score two goals from it. And this this uh, game this weekend just gone. There were periods in the game where we were having sort of five, six, seven shots on target or or at goal, and really putting the pressure on West Ham. But then they would just go up the other end and almost seemingly walk it into the net, especially that second one, which was a killer before that we had had uh, 10 minutes on top of West Ham we really looked like we were going to score and that's where the majority of those chances you were talking about in the introduction there Jack that's, that's the period where they, they came from and after that it was as simple as them walking down the, the, the other end of the park and in four or five passes Mikel Antonio had ended the game for us Farrell, in terms of how you look at those chances and, and how you
1: know, it went down the other end and sort of walked it in you know the defence must be Looking at that, going how is no one putting one away, and then when it comes back down the other end, and that you know the first one goes in, that must be unbelievably bad for morale.
2: Yeah, it's deeply frustrating. I mean, you know the defense are sitting there saying like, look, look, we've done we've done our job here. You know, the we've stifled out as much as as much as we can. We're doing as much as we can do for for the players in front of us, and they're just they aren't putting the chance this way, and it is really demoralising. And you know, as much as the defense are trying their best and the the second goal in particular is pretty poor defending but there's so much gaps ahead of them for for the for West Ham's attacking players to exploit that it's you know that in the build up to those goals there wasn't really amazing play they were able to get the ball into the box early. That second, the second one's a real sickener as well because we did have a big chance just a bit before that, and then it just comes up the other end and scores. But no, no particular pair has come back and and helped out. sherla was was one of the attacking players who was back, but he kind of saunters towards the sickener on the second goal is that you can see it coming from a mile off yeah.
3: because Joe Bryan follows his man all the way across the pitch from the left back position almost the whole way into the right back position and there is absolutely no need for him to do it if you if you're at Sunday League level of football you know that you track your man so far and you pass him on and Joe Bryan hasn't done that he's followed him almost needlessly crabbing across the pitch and then just left that left back slot completely wide open fair enough he's his midfielder in front of him hasn't given him the protection he needed but you just know not to do that. Mm. You know not to track your man. It's kind of far. like
2: five-a-side defending, isn't it? Where you kind yeah. of do that man marking, but on eleven-a-side pitch, you know, that's only that sort of stuff that's left to sort of like a defensive midfielder that would sort of just pass them on. You know, it's it's zonal marking all the way, and you just go back into your area because that's where you know all your that's where you know all your teammates are going to be yeah. at any one time. And you know, you'd expect Schurler to actually fill in for Joe Bryan, but well, he's the he experienced doesn't. head
1: there. You know, Joe Bryan's still. A reasonably young player learning his craft, you, you expect someone of Scherler's experience and and kind of you know being the places he's been to be able to to give him direction, to be able to push him in the right way, and he obviously hasn't done that.
2: Yeah, and Reem was Reem was the one that sort of went towards Hernandez to try and stop the flick on, and I kind of got a blame. There's a little bit of blame here to sort of pass on to Rico and and Reem, uh, and perhaps Morsen here that that they hadn't told Mawson that you know that. Uh, Chicharito was just behind him and he's, I mean Hernandez has so much space, like there's no player within 10 yards of him in the box and it was quite easy to find him and fair enough he gets a good block on it, but also then Reem turns around after the block has happened and Scherler hasn't come back and marked um, Mikel Antonio there and you can see how frustrated he was and you know, if I was, that, if I was Tim Ream, I would have absolutely been furious at at Scherler there Let's talk about the defense
1: a little bit more. Obviously, that first goal comes from a Dennis Adoy slip. This has caused a bit of debate. Um, I, I think it's awful defending, but there have been sort of complaints that it kind of it's good play from Anderson, and it also is a little bit
0: unlucky and it bounces off. Uh, what was your take on it, Drew? All right, so this is where uh, I think that we one of our biggest problems is is Adoy versus Anderson. I mean it's criminal. It's a criminal thing to do. I, I said in the WhatsApp we, and Ranieri should be arrested for, for putting him up against him. It was uh, for me it was um a doy all the way. Um and I think that you think about, you know, who you replace him with and the, is the quality there. Um, but no, I think it was Adoy for me, and he had a terrible, terrible game. And I know there's been—I I don't like singling players out too savagely, but he's—it's not—he's not—he's uh, not the answer for us.
3: Like uh, for me, uh, I'm getting a lot of bite back on Twitter, and that's fair enough. If you want to defend a player that someone else isn't liked, then you, you can come at you can come at them, and you can voice your opinion on any social media platform, as we do on this this platform here in the podcast. But if you can sit there and tell me that Adoy first half performance was good enough then I think you need to be watching another style of football another player because he's not that that mistake happened actually happened like him diving in was forced upon himself about three or four seconds before he needed to because we lost the ball in a, in a position that was quite high and O'Doy could see that happening but still continued to push on and at that point, he had let Felipe Anderson go goal side of him, and couldn't get that. couldn't get back on the right side of him until he dived in. And it was only at that point when Adoy could have had any um, influence on that sequence of play. And when he had done it, he was rash and he was mistimed. And that's quite often what Adoy is. And I get that there are very many points in that second half where his pace and his intelligence on the ball made up for errors of other people within the team. And that's fine to an extent but this error is him and him alone and him playing at right back didn't offer us anything this this week at all it didn't press Philippe Anderson back like an offensive right back or any offensive wing back should have done it didn't it didn't do anything for Fulham in terms of an offensive output either because when he got the ball he didn't put it in the box and I just feel like although we don't have that much better in our defensive ranks in that Fosu Menza has been consigned to the cupboard um, and of the other right backs that we do have in Cyrus Christie hasn't exactly lit the world alight but I do think he offered us a little bit on Saturday Cyrus Christie is a a funny player because you know he didn't offer too much
1: going forward and and actually we we had one good cross that was headed sort of towards goal at any kind of given point but he does push forwards in a way
3: that Adoy doesn't, and he tries to force players backwards. Yeah. See, and this is what Adoy didn't mm-hmm. do when he should have done against Philippe Anderson. Philippe Anderson doesn't want to defend. No. Arthur Masawaku doesn't want to defend either. Get them to push back. You know, really start to be like pin them back in their own half. Be as offensive as you can. But Adoy didn't really do that. And like, I'm getting sent who scored data over who's the best defender in 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 our ranks and it doesn't like stats can tell a story and i know this because i host a stat show myself but it doesn't tell you the whole story mm. and there's so many times where def- dennis's defensive output and positioning is completely incorrect and his errors aren't necessarily his but he's not doing anything
2: about them i think that one of the things that dennis adoy is his downfall is that he's so keen to impress so often so he'll do things that are he can do but are just totally unnecessary. The amount of times like he try and take someone on, especially when he's in the centre back position, that he tries and to takes too many players on and then loses it. Granted he'll he'll be successful nine out of ten times, but it's the one time when he's a defender that it'll be a it'll be a mistake and it'll be yeah. you know a bit of a, a bit a of a hack. Yeah, exactly.
3: If he could really stop fizzing them in at people's shins as well, that'd be great.
1: There'll be a, there's an interesting kind of school of thought, I suppose, that you know, when when we discussed a doy at centre back. We And Adore it. right back, I remember Sammy saying that he was quite keen to see him play right back because it would give him a bit more freedom to do that taking on of players without necessarily putting us in major trouble. But he doesn't seem to, you know, having been converted into a centre back... He doesn't seem to have the kind of pace or, or power that he kind of used to maybe have at, at right back to kind of drive forward and bomb on. And I think when he reverted to centre back, you know, I'm not sure he's the answer there either. But I'd much rather see him at centre back mm. than at right back because at least it plays to the skill set that he has now developed.
2: Yeah, I, I do agree. And the the one game that kind of stands out for me for the way you say that was, um, well in kind of reverse way was I was thinking back to Cardiff game this year when it was Callum Chambers playing on the right back and Dennis Odoy was at centre-back if I remember and let's not talk about Chambers on that game because he's obviously improved since scary. then but then Dennis Adoy went to right back and he was actually one of our better players but he probably didn't have enough time to make a mistake because he was only did it for 45 minutes I think if he was playing right back for 90 minutes he probably would have made one or two more mistakes in that game Yeah,
0: he only did the 20 minutes on Saturday well there you go
2: um, and I do agree that Dennis Adoy, and as we've seen from last last season and the season before, that when he does get into that centre back position, he he doesn't he's not as reckless as he as he could be. But you know, as we've seen time and time again, he does make those defensive errors from time to time.
1: I was just going to add, you know, something that came up on Twitch and something that I tweeted during the game was, you know, Cyrus Christie must be sitting on the bench having watched that first half going, what on earth have I done wrong to have been dropped from this team? You know, he got pulled off for the last 10, 15 minutes against Leicester uh, because he put in a couple of bad crosses. And uh, doy went out there and, and that's how we kind of shifted across. But apart from that, apart from a couple of bad deliveries, and, and look, Cyrus' delivery is questionable at times and he, he doesn't have... You know, a, a great delivery week in, week out and, and, and every every time he gets the ball. But he puts in a fair amount of decent crosses, especially weirdly when he checks back onto his weak foot. Yeah. His left foot delivery seems to be a little bit better than his right foot delivery in, in, in a strange sort of way. But actually, since Ranieri came in, I can't remember Christie having a bad game. He's you certainly know, he's improved. Done far, he's done absolutely fine under, under Ranieri. And he must be sitting there going why why aren't i playing almost you know it's, it's weird
2: well this is kind of the the weird thing that we had at the first sort of 10 games when Slavisa was in charge that he you know he tinkered a lot just to use that phrase and we were getting to a stage where he was starting to get a settled 11 again and then all of a sudden a new manager's come in and now he's experimenting again which is probably not what we need at this moment we need a bit more stability and perhaps we're kind of seeing that perhaps Changing the manager at that time wasn't the best decision, but hopefully it will will come good again. But it was the same when, to be honest, it was the same when Roy Hodgson took over from Laurie Sanchez. There was a time when when he did start chopping and changing to try and find a, a best eleven and started bringing some new players in in January, and it did take some time to to come good again. And it thankfully it did, and hopefully we can see that this season. I want to just take apart the second half a little little bit because
1: we haven't really touched on it. I, I know it's. It's a strange one because not much actually happened. But I mean, I suppose, Ben, what were your key takeaways from that half? And what what was the kind of
3: overarching narrative of it for you? The second half was sort of, it felt like a very, it sort of felt like a training session almost in that one team would go up the one end of the pitch and have a go for five minutes and the other team would go up the other end and have a go for five minutes. But it was quite nice to see that we could actually keep a clean sheet for 45 minutes. Yeah. there was some sort of solidity in there when uh, we, we made some changes. Um, I kind of liked the, introdu- the introduction of Johansson. I thought he gave us some nice energy in the middle there. And I thought for all the negativity around the rest of the team, I thought one good spot there and someone that drove us forward a lot of the times during that second half was Tom Kenny. And he's getting a lot of flack on Twitter and in the questions we're going to ask later as well. People were questioning his captaincy, his passion, his um, motivation to play for us. And I think that this weekend probably gave you as good an indication as any that Tom wanted to put the players on his back and try and carry us forward a little bit more. Even though he's in a wider position, he's not really going to be the same as like a, a flying winger that you may see across the league. I think he was if, if he was effectual, he held on. He held on to play quite well, and actually. If you are looking at someone to replace Seri, I don't think he would be misplaced there in that centre, centre midfield role next to Callum Chambers, actually.
1: It's an interesting one. I don't know. The only thing I would say there is I don't know if his defensive output is any is any better than Sarri's. Uh In fact, I, I'd argue it might be worse. So it could be better than the devil you know, though. Potentially. But it's one of those things where, you know, we said that this season, when Kenny's actually been up further, closer to Mitrovic... Is when he's been looked most effective in terms yeah. of driving the team forwards and how we kind of, you know, look to to get the ball and control it in the final third. I think moving him backwards is is surely going to bring us back to the issue we had last year, where when he got the ball from deep and there was no one around him, he got frustrated very very easily. And when Tom's head goes, it does go. I think the simple
3: thing is it's either it's either Tom or set or. John Michael Seri.
2: Yeah, it it's one or the other. It yeah. cannot be both. I think one. I think, one, I think one of the key difference in between those two players, although incredibly talented as they are, is that I don't remember Kenny actually losing the ball at all at the at the weekend. Yeah. I think one thing that Kenny does probably one of the you know he he's going to be like I'm talking like top seven kind of player here of protecting the ball and how much times he protects the ball when tackles are flying in and is able to create space when there, when, there isn't, when there isn't any. To be, to be fair to Sarri, when he's playing in that, in that middle two, as part of a, a double
3: pairing, he's under quite a lot of pressure to get the ball and, and use it quickly. And when you're playing central midfield, regardless of what standard you are, there's always going to be passes that go astray. Mm. There it's were easier a to do that. It's
1: easier to to lose the ball in the centre midfield than it is yeah. on the wing because yeah. actually it's it, you can always swing a ball in, and if you swing a ball in and it doesn't work, then that's kind of fine because it's just a goal kick, right?
3: Yeah, and you know that the the fan like English fans really love a cross into the box. Yeah, and they love to celebrate a corner as well. Yeah, we we do like celebrating corners.
1: I uh, was oh, something I I thought, and, and maybe in, in counterpoint to that, Ben was that I thought we lost a lot of the creativity when Johansson came on for Sarien, and, and you know my feelings towards. Stephanie Hansen, I yeah. love the man to bits, but I do not see him really do it. Yes, he, he ran around a lot and he buzzed around a lot and mm. there is a time and a place for that. Mm. But when we were trying to create and, and, and make something happen, I thought we were far less effective with the ball in their half than we were when Seri was on.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I can certainly see that and I, I do agree. And I think that the the, the substitution after that should have potentially been to get someone else on wide and move TC central yes. and try and get the creativity around him and have just Chambers and Johansson as just break up players because i think that was that was their primary principle the prim- primary principle of both of those players was to just break up play and to give it to someone that
0: they thought could create and whether they thought that was Sherlock or whether they thought that was TC There there seems to be, like, in midfield, it's kind of a a puzzle of trying to get the different components to work together. In defence, there's, for me, a distinct lack of quality, which is the more worrying piece. Mm. Um, But if we can... You can almost negate the poor defensive... uh, quality that we have if we can get the rest of it right and you know we'll score one more than you but at the moment we're not doing either and then it, when you get to the top it doesn't really matter because non- none of them are getting anything anyway and we have this thing at the moment where we had the run where we were losing 2-0 against the top six sides and we were saying oh yeah know, there's signs of life and now it's uh oh at least we didn't lose the second half but none of it it all equates to the same thing yeah, and that's no zero points. points
1: yeah absolutely absolutely i, th- I think that's probably you know all we can stomach on the west ham game but there's a couple of greater points i think after the after that game and the kind of key takeaway so so after the break i think we we'll have a little chat about where do we go from here what what are the takeaways that matter for, from this game and and how do we look to improve either in the next couple of games or in january so we'll talk about all those things after the break
2: Hello, I'm Breda Hangelin and you are listening to the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: Welcome back to Fulhamish where we are discussing all the key takeaways from the West Ham game this weekend and where we kind of go from here. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello everyone. Farrell Monk. Hello. And Drew Heatley. Hi. And just before we go into kind of the deeper problems around Fulham and, and we really start to get negative all over you, uh, just to suggest that maybe go and check out our YouTube channel for slightly more light-hearted content. There's Jack Kelly's fan cams on there. Ben hosted full-time from the old Suffolk Punch this weekend. And there's also Dave Preston's on the road from Manchester United going up this week. So lots to see, lots to discuss. And, and definitely get on there and give a subscribe if you haven't already. So, lads, I suppose in the aftermath we're rock bottom. You know, we're when we've got nine points, we're not very good, basically. Um, and <laughs> and the the truth <laughs> is, analysis. where do we go from here? Because you know w- w- we're really struggling, and uh, and ultimately, you know, we 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 don't really have anywhere to to kind of turn at this point. And, and, you know, you look to January for these points and and there are still some massive games coming up. You know, we looked at West Ham as as a winnable game, but also West Ham are are kind of just off the top 10. You know, they're not, they're a team that you should be looking to get points off at home, but they're also not around us. We've got Newcastle this weekend. Obviously that's going to be a tricky fixture up in the Northeast, but it's also one that we really need to be looking to get points out of. We've got Wolves at home on Boxing Day who are a team that we know, uh, you know, and we're, we're aware of what they offer and bring to the table. And we've got Huddersfield at home after that. There's still games in this period that we need to be looking to take points out of. And uh, and where would you go to start turning it around? And I'm going to start with you, Drew, because there's a lot to digest there. But, you know, where do we where do we start? What are the key takeaways?
0: Well, so one of the key things this season that's been going wrong, I feel, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, is that we're trying to we're trying to get our car, imagine we're a car, we're trying to get everything in order while we're driving at 70 miles an hour down the motorway and the problem is you know, it, it, it's getting, it gets harder and harder to do that and you find yourself suddenly what, 19 games, 18 games in and you know, we still, we're still we still missing so many key components and look at these games coming up. West Ham, again, we ca- classed it as one of these four games but actually in reality, then it wasn't a winnable fixture. It, West Ham is not a winnable fixture at the moment with the, with the run of form that they're on. Similarly, Newcastle I feel are going to be on the on the uh, on a high after last weekend, and they've I think they've won two in the last five, but you know still two uh, one more than us. They were
1: very lucky to be Huddersfield mind, and and while while you obviously need a bit of luck and and all those things count, and three points sure. is three points. You know they're still a team that aren't in massive you know, they had a really good November. Mm. But apart from that, they they have looked beatable this season. It definitely is one that we, you know, you'd hope that Mitrovic goes back there with a point to prove and yeah. all of those things that that should make this a game that we
0: should be very much in contention for. I absolutely agree. I think um okay, so where where what are we gonna do? What are we gonna change? I think um I think we have to really nail that, that defense first because uh, I mentioned earlier about the, the pieces in the midfield. I think uh, we just go with exactly what we think is 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 the right one. And for me, that's going to be uh, Mawson. Uh, well, so Brian is a left back. Let's have him there. I say Christie hasn't done enough wrong to be dropped, so I'll have him there. And in the middle, I'll have uh, Mawson and probably Maxime if he's fit. And if he's not? And if he's not, I know Reem had a night. He's had a couple of nightmares, but... I- I'd still put him in for now, but I'm not happy with it. And that, and that's what it comes down to is what I mean, is that, you know, we, we don't have the quality in defence. We haven't bought anywhere near well enough in defence that the replacements for the first four that we haven't even nailed down yet still aren't good enough for me. And that's where we're ultimately going to come unstuck this season if if we end up going down. But yeah, Ream is the short answer and not the ranty one. Yeah,
3: no,
1: it's not. Ben, Ben, what are your kind of thoughts on on the whole scenario?
3: Altogether slightly less uh, optimistic than Drew is to be honest with you and we were having a conversation before the podcast and I stand by the point I made and I don't think we'll have 12 points by New Year. I don't think uh, that we'll pick up anything going up to Newcastle away and I can see a Mo Mohamed Diame header going in in the 78th minute so, somewhere. Yeah, 74 for me I'd have got you. Something like that and... um you know, like, I really hate to be negative because we've had two amazing years of Fulham. Like, we've had the, the playoffs and we've had the playoff final win and we've had two, two amazing years of Fulhamish. And this is the only time ever that I've felt really, really negative about the club as a whole. And it really, really is horrible, um, to put it nicely. Um, I feel like if we're going to make some changes, they have to be quite substantial. And it, firstly, it would be with dropping uh, Jean Michel Serri Despite the fact that there is a huge amount of debate over both of the, of the players, uh, most most of it being centered around John Jean, John Michelasseri, I would drop him. I would go for a little bit of more resilience in midfield. And although we're still waiting to see the best of him, I think it could be a game for Anguissa to come in next to Chambers and them two just to destroy anything that comes to free that centre. Really try and break up the play as much as possible and really just turn into complete game breakers, almost as if they were Atletico Madrid's centre midfield pairing. Yeah, um, I would quite like that with maybe Thomas Kearney in front of them. And then I think that we break high, we break wide, and we get balls into Mitrovic as, as early as possible. I think... Although Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark are probably two players that thrive on um, trying to be as passionate as possible. I think there's one guy in, in our team that can out-passion them and out-strength them and out-muscle them. It's Mitrovic and I think he can really have a point to prove there. If Def- you're going to do that, you need
1: wingers that are going to cross the ball in. Yeah. So who, who's going wide for you?
3: Well, if he's back, Ryan Sessignon's going wide for me. Always. And you always have to brief him on getting the ball in the box. And then despite us lamenting him, I think it's a case of just telling Charlotte to, to ping it in as much as possible. And that that is really bad. I know we shouldn't be saying this about a world cup winner, a premier league title, like a guy with a premier league title, a guy that's won a Bundesliga. We shouldn't really be saying this about him, this caliber of player, but it's, it's kind of like just stick him out there and see what he can do. And I agree with Drew. I really do think we're struggling at the back and, despite us trying to find possible alternatives for any player that we do currently have out there, it really is a much of a muchness in terms of everyone's pretty much bang average. Are they not? And anyone that you can say as much as I can say, drop Dennis Adoy, you know, who am I going to replace with in center half? Frankly, it's not going to be Callum Chambers because he's cemented a central midfield role. It's not going to be anyone else because I personally don't think Tim Rimm has been good enough this season. I mean, yeah, it's much of a muchness, isn't it? I don't mind Dennis Odoi playing centre-back. I just don't want him a right-back. Yeah, I mean, nor do I. So Cyrus Christie comes in. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of like you just... As much as you want change, there's nothing to change. There's nothing radical in that squad that you look on the bench and you think, you know what? I'd really like him to be on the pitch because there isn't.
1: Something we haven't really discussed is that a lot of Man United fans and a lot of them have said that Fosu Mensah is best as a six. And... I mean, I don't know if this is the time to start experimenting wildly. And, uh, you know, I, I also appreciate that someone who's been very poor at right back might not be the answer in the in the centre of the park. But he's very dynamic. He's very quick. He's quite powerful. You know, he, he, he's also, you know, quite good at reading play. You know, he's just not the right back we needed because he never accelerated on past the winger, which is basically all Fulham need from their fullbacks. Um, and while... You know, like again, it's a difficult time to start experimenting. It might be something that you know is, is considered at least at this
3: point. It just feels like in all the situations where there's some element of desperation, that we always sit there and think that's experiment. It doesn't necessarily need to be that. I don't think. I think we need to have a bit more stability. But as we were saying in in the time between the first segment and this segment, now it was like we've had Ranieri for five games. Not much has really changed apart from we we're playing four four one one. And we're trying to be a little bit more compact. We're still quite easy to walk through. We still aren't pressing high enough. We still are allowing too many chances to come at our back four every single match. And I was expecting a little bit more from Renieri by now, if I'm honest.
1: Farrell, uh, just before we, you know, your your point, I, I'd be interested in hearing what your your thoughts are on the fact that we don't high, press high enough being coupled with the idea that Alexander Mitrovic isn't very fast. Because you looked at someone like Southampton at the weekend and Danny Ings led the press. And Danny Ings... He's not, you know, Michael Owen, you know, circa two thousand. But he's quick, <laughs> you know. He, he, he's quick enough for a striker, and he's mobile. And the, the players behind him, as soon as Ings gave the trigger, were flying all over the park. And that's Hassan Hute's style. So that's that's fine. It's not going to be the same. But is there something in that in in the why Fulham are quite bad at pressing from the front?
2: Yeah, Mitrovic is obviously slower than your average average striker, and we don't seem to have a huge amount of pace in the team. Especially from our attacking players, apart from like maybe Kamara and Sesenyon, but apart from that, they're not really like, you know, above fifteen on Foot Manager stats kind of kind of pace. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, in a in a kind of an annoying kind of way, this kind of like sit back, soak up the pressure, and counterattack that Ben suggested. Unfortunately, it doesn't really suit our players. And even when we do get onto a counter-attack, which we do actually quite often, our players aren't quick enough or confident enough to take the ball forward. Like other teams have literally destroyed us on time and time again this season. And even it, uh, even as as they did do in the championship in the last couple of years, when we did concede goals, it was more often, the, often on the counter-attack. And I wouldn't say that those championship players were exceptionally quick as well. Yeah. Um, and they are just exposing how slow we are in sort of getting back and, and defending. And likewise... You know, other teams are so quick to get back and get their shape again that we don't really punish teams enough when we do get the ball into promising positions. Mitrovic is got a lot of heart and a lot of passion. He's obviously got a lot of talent, and you know, I don't really, I don't really like to see him on the bench at all because he'll, you know, he'll just get picked up by another team and start scoring like twenty goals for someone else. And obviously, Kamara isn't. It's just not good enough. I mean, the problem was is that when Mitrovic had one counter-attacking chance the weekend, when he was put through a one-on-one on goal, yeah. he checked back inside because he's just not quick on the dribble, either. And you know, it's it's kind of frustrating. What's what's the solution? Do we change our style and change our mentality and change the players, even even as talented as they are, as like Seri and Mitrovic are, that we just change our style completely? So it's just a winning, pragmatic, sit back and defend, try and counter-track as much as possible with Kamara and bench people like Seri and Mitrovic and maybe even Kearney um, to just go for players who are going to run around a lot, hassle and Harry, win the ball high or win the ball low. So what what would you do going into Newcastle on Saturday? Um, I think we've got to try, for the time being, trying to, Get some stability in this team because I, you know, I don't know if the players know who's going to be playing at the weekend or what star they're going to be playing because the past five games under Ranieri, I'm, we're still a bit puzzled as to what is it. You know, we have played a bit more pragmatically, but at the weekend we we say we seem to revert back how we used to try and play under Slavita, and that wasn't working. And you know, I I would like to see some sort of stability. Fine if we go and continue as we were playing like against West Ham at the weekend and try and sort of do that but then get a bit more game management in there and not just try and do it all the time actually maybe okay we're getting the pressure on it's not really working and they because they had like one counter attack that they didn't get a shot away before beforehand that perhaps we should try and sit back and for a time being or try and blitz them and try and win the ball high and uh, as quickly as possible but as we've seen before we run out of puff
1: yeah drew looking a little bit further ahead and, and maybe a little bit more long term January's not far away now. You know, where do we have to look to strengthen, you know, apart from, you know, I suppose the obvious?
0: I think that for me, fossey Mentz is probably on his way back to Old Trafford. I think that's probably not too much of a secret. So I think we've got one of those lone uh spaces open uh, again. I I am gonna harp back to this defence. I think we need a I think we need a centre back with Premier League proven Premier League quality. Gary Cow has mentioned and he's got his pros and his cons, but he you know let he lets be honest, he's got Premier League experience. That's something that we need, I think, for a team that used to place so much onus on its fullbacks. I think we were absolutely negligent in the summer in terms of our recruitment in those positions. Uh, we are light on the left, we're light on the right. Um, if fossey Mensa goes back, you'd have to say there's an argument to buy uh, to buy or loan another right back. But then again. Who do we get? I don't know. Um, we just need to really focus on quality in the centre back and full back positions. Do
2: you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when um, Mark Hughes was was at QPR and he only bought attacking players, and they still they you know they had like Loic Remy playing striker, and they had Charlie Austin there as well at the same time. Yeah, but Clint then they Hill was playing centre back. Yeah. yeah, they had Sean Derry and I yeah, think had, Anton Ferdinand yeah. at yeah. centre back, which was just obviously nowhere near good enough. Well, you
0: know what the problem is with that is that. You know, we hamstring ourselves by going down so early because we're not good enough defensively. And if a team goes one down in the Premier League, I uh, there's no team I'd back le- less at the moment to, to to pull that back than us. So we said we're, we're we're playing with a handicap to start with, and so you know, buying you can buy all the offensive players in the world that you want, but it doesn't make a damn bit of difference if we you know as we're sieve at the back. Ben, is is that
1: mentality? You know, at the moment. When we go down, last year when we went down, we knew that we'd get back into it and we knew we'd score goals. At the moment, mm. when we concede the first one, we look like we're about to die. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Basically, I think as soon as you get that goal being let in, it's just a case of, well, players sort of think, well, how many is it going to be, really? Yeah. Like, you can see it knocks the stuffing out of all of them completely. And we saw that when the second goal went in for West Ham. Um, this weekend. We've seen it a couple more times over the course of the season where it's just okay, we're two 2-0 down now, it's a formality and there's no fight. Like as we we tried to discuss the second half, but I literally can't remember anything of note happening apart from the substitution.
0: My overriding memory of the game on Saturday and I wasn't there because I had a family member but watched it on the T V live was uh Tim Ream and Sergio Rico's faces as the camera zoomed in on them after both goals were conceded and they're both there just shaking their heads and it seemed like such, I don't know, such a rehearsed and sort of like they were resigned to their fate. It was Mm. just such a strange and weird thing to have them sort of their moment of agony sort of zoomed in on and it just sort of encapsulates the the mental fatigue amongst the team. the The strangest thing is that all of this happens week
3: in, week out and none of them want to sit there and say, you know what, I'll shoulder that. It's my responsibility. Like I'll kick on. The only one that's really shown anything, to his credit, is Alfie Mawson. Yeah, yeah, he did. And and I thought Mawson again at the weekend was was okay.
1: Uh, I think he's slightly growing into his role, and I know that seems weird to say that of a defender who's, you know, supposed to be the the, the leader at the back there. Mm. But you know, he's still young, and and with him. You know, I I do feel like he's developing into a player that that might be at the club for a while. And, you know, whether things are going to go well or badly, I do think that Alfie Mawson might end up being a mainstay at Fulham, for better or for worse.
2: The, um, The one thing I just want to pick up on quickly was going back to what Drew was saying about getting a Premier League experience, quality player like Gary Cahill, who's done the business for quite some time now, is that unfortunately, I don't think the club's transfer policy would allow it. I can't remember the last time I st- we signed anyone, out, like even close to like 28, 29, unless I want to be Maxine able to, to 29.
0: I don't want to say that, I don't want to blow the trumpet for Cahill and say that he's the answer. I'm, I'm just going, he's somebody that we've been linked with. So, you know, it yeah. makes no, no. sense... But you know, if you go for anyone younger with Premier League experience, and then you're looking at shed loads of money, which we know we're not afraid to set, uh, spend. But I who think we come? might.
1: I think we might be afraid a little bit to spend. Possibly, yeah. Money sure. In January, sure. because it could all go. Well, on.
0: Fun- it'll be funded by price
3: tickets anyway. <laughs> oh, you, well, you sit there and you look at it and you're like, well, who else is there in that mid-range has Premier League is 26 experience like Kevin Vimmer? yeah mm. uh, let's, let's not do that <laughs> um, i tell you what we should do is go on to some questions
1: ben uh, the mailbag is going to be with you this week but mm. our question section is now sponsored by putney pies the finest pies in all the land and you can get 10 percent off your food just over at putney bridge by quoting the code who at all the pies at the checkout and uh, if you say you're from fulhamish that's that's nice as well you get you get you get a smile from and the checkout staff like,
2: and then they'll be like Uh, who ate all the pies yeah it was the Fulhamish boys yeah the
1: Fulhamish boys actually ate all the pies that's why you can't have any anymore because they're gone (laughs) Um, but no definitely Cutney Pies really nice really good bar in there as well so definitely get down there pre or post game because it is very pleasant Ben what's in the
3: post bag the post bag is overflowing as usual because we've lost (laughs) so uh, we'll start (laughs) off um, with a club captain question as we alluded to earlier this is from Weekly Geekly who's a regular contributor so thanks and his question is, is it time for a changing club captain? TC doesn't seem to inspire others on the pitch and often races down the tunnel post-game. Is it time for Mitro or Sess Faz, you can go first.
2: I think it's one of those worst-kept secrets of the club that Tom Kearney isn't actually the club captain. It's Kevin McDonald. I think Kenny was basically given the armband as a sweetener for his contract but he still has the armband and I don't know what the new players think that they're looking to him for inspiration but he, he doesn't do the business on the pitch The the it's quite similar to um, when Lewis Burmorte was made captain because that was part of a sweetener of, of contract and he wasn't exactly a big talker on the field he kind of just led by example Um and but again, he was still kind of a fans favourite. He loved the club, he loved the fans. Kearney obviously loves the club and loves the fans, but he doesn't he doesn't show it in in any sort of way that you would expect from a from a club captain.
0: Yeah, it's a different era as well, isn't it? You know, whereas uh nowadays people are sort of reticent to show their their sort of love and support for things. It's just the, you know, playing it cool or whatever. But you're exactly right, the Robo Mortar stuff, it, it always reminds me of the same thing and it was and it didn't really work particularly well then. I think at Fulham we We are much better when we've got sort of that class, the captain in the classic mould, the centre half, or you know the Hangerland or the Cookie or the, you know the Andy Melvilles or whatever of this world, and and that's what's always worked traditionally down at the cottage. We haven't got that now. Uh, There's not a lot we can do about that. Um, You know, if we were to, for argument's sake, pick a replacement, for me it would be probably Mitrovic because he. He's, you know, he's an effer and a blinder and a, you know, he's got the passion he, he has been given uh, Leicester yeah he, he was yeah. Yeah. and I think he's probably next in line he certainly was when Slav was here I think in terms of being on the, on the pitch and he's always, he's always guaranteed to play we've seen that Sess comes in and out um, so you know, it would almost be futile to give it to him if he's not going to play every game so if it was going to go to somebody else you would go to Mitro but I think it, it, again it's, we're looking at things that aren't the biggest problem
1: yeah, I think it's it's upsetting the apple cart for the sake of upsetting the apple cart. Mm. You know, your leaders are leaders, whether they're wearing a captain's armband or not. And, you know, if if those players who are were, who were suggesting were the leaders that we're hoping they were, then I think they'd be already doing that role for the kind of from the get go, because that's what players do. And, and we talk about Gary Hegeo and we talk about that. Here's a player that will come in with experience and will shout at everyone and will tell players, you know, who they are. And something that really interested me at the weekend was Declan Rice and I was watching him and he dictated everything to everyone and he shouts and he tells people and he's a young player but his leadership experiences, his, his leadership kind of qualities are so evident from the very outset because mm. you know Mark Noble does a stupid foul and Declan Rice is up in his face going, "What are you doing?" You know, that's mm. the club captain. He's been there. He's you know almost a West Ham saint. You can't like, but he's there going, "That's ridiculous, tackle, Mark. Yeah. Why have you done that?" Mm. And and that's the kind of thing we need. You need a captain. You need captains all over the pitch. You need captains who are willing to stand up, step up, and be like, "Lads, that's not good enough. We need to do that. We need to do better there." And. And a lot of time we spoke about this last year. People saying, oh, we should make Tim Ream the captain. We should make Tim. Tim Ream doesn't do that. He's not that player. No, he's not. He's, you know, Tim Ream has plenty of wonderful qualities. And (laughs) And he seems like a lovely chap. He does seem like a lovely geezer, but he's not going to be, you know, picking up players by the scruff of their neck and and, and shouting at them. He's not going to be the one. You know, telling Mitrovic that if he doesn't run hard enough that you know he's you know it's not good enough, and we need more of that. We need more players who are willing to stand up and be counted. And that sounds such like a passion thing, but it, it honestly isn't. Like I don't care if you're technically gifted. If you're not technically gifted, if you want to put the shift in and you you can stand up, make you know, make yourself known, put the work in on a football level, and also be a leader on the pitch that's what we're lacking we
2: need more of the the only thing that I would say to about Ranieri specifically and I've read some things about specifically in Italy that um, they don't tend to pick like a club captain who's who's like a leader necessarily it tends to be a player that is the most experienced and most capped player at the club I don't know if that's changed over time and perhaps Ranieri's changed his tune because he's obviously not always managed in Italy that perhaps he will have the same sort of emphasis as much of his culture is that they don't place much emphasis on the club captain and therefore he wouldn't necessarily switch it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Then what else is in the old post, mate? Cool, we've got one from uh, Mark Seymour. says, judging by how we've played under Claudio Ranieri, I'm not yet concerned about relegation. All we need is a centre-back and a right-back to come in to shore up the defence. Thoughts, guys? Keep up the good work um jack yeah i mean i agree
1: with that we need to pick up a centre back um you know I, I would also like a right back although i think we're going to be struggling for someone who's of the requisite quality that isn't going to cost us an absolute arm and a leg in mm. in january um the player that i would have maybe liked to see us pick up is someone like kevin and babu from from young boys uh, who mm, we were linked yeah. with in the summer uh, who is kind of that flying right back and we saw him at the at the week against um Against Juventus, really put in two absolutely wonderful crosses that that young boys profited from, um, and I think that that's the kind of player we will be looking at, especially given that they are now out of both European competitions. You know they've got the kind of Swiss title sewn up again, but I remember being quoted ten, twelve million for him in the summer, and we, you know, we'll be looking at putting that outlay out again. You know, I think it's a sensible move because I think it's someone that would stay with us were the club to be relegated. Um, but ultimately, you know, you you got to be looking. You know, have that kind of quality if if we're going to actually improve. Because, you know, you, you'd struggle to find a, a Premier League second right back that's not as good as that's as good as Cyrus Christie. Cyrus Christie is a fine, fine right back, and and you know he's not a he's not a world beater, but he's fine. And and for the most part, under Ranieri, as we've said before, has done done okay. Yes, his final ball, you know, was a bit lacking, but so was Ryan Fredericks's. Everyone forgets this. Ryan Fredericks's, you took four attempts to get the ball into the box yeah. every time, and yes, he made those <laughs> chances happen. But he did. He was he was terrible at getting the ball into the mixer. What I think we need is some players that are willing to put the ball onto Mitrovic's head a little bit more. Um, and the other thing that I thought was interesting the weekend was um, Kearney cutting in from the right onto his left foot allowed him to play that really nice ball that he does, you know, curling in towards the back post. And that is the benefit of having Tom Kearney out wide right because he's able to deliver that ball. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, for me, in, this, in the transfer window, we need we need a centre-back and a centre-midfielder. Um, and I would like another you know another striking option because I think we we're a little bit lost if Mitch, anything happens to Mitrovic. but you know ultimately there's 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 a lot to be done, and I think most is on the training field rather than the transfer market.
2: It's kind of easy to forget considering how many goals we've already seen this season going in and against us, that actually I think Mitrovic is actually up there as the scored the most headed goals this season in the Premier League or at least or at least he's like Level, second or third yeah. um and we need to like build on that asset as as much as it old school it is, you know, getting it wide and, you know, fizzing it into the box for big man in the box getting it getting on the end of it. We need to exploit that more and perhaps we need to look at players on the wide, whether it be right back, left back, right wing, left wing, that can just consistently put in excellent balls into the box. I mean, the amount of goals Tottenham score from Kieran Trippier just costing him for Harry Kane, and Harry Kane is just a master of anticipation, and it's just excellent coaching that's 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 done that. And perhaps we just need people who can just get the ball in the box. And we don't really have any wide men that do that. I know. Mean, I know. John's able
1: to. We've seen it for England much more than at Fulham because I suppose that's how he's been coached we're really bad at getting the ball into the mixer.
3: Well, less said about our corners, the better, really. Eh? I've been looking over recent weeks at a few players that I'd quite like to get in and there's a couple of them from Udinese. One of them is Rodrigo de Powell, yeah, lovely player who currently has the highest chance per 90 creation and currently plays sort of like in a centre-forward role almost like Vieto does but we can pick Rodrigo de Pau out because he's a little bit more informed than Vietto was when we picked him up over the summer. The other one also plays for Udinese it is Darwin Machis who you may know Jack yep. and a few of you out there like Italian football may know who's a very very fast winger who just really likes to drive at people and get the ball into the box really and I think the main two things that I've been looking at when when scouting those wide players is probably going to be technical ability, the ability to get the ball into the box easily and pace, and I think both of those two possess all of those traits. Um, in terms of center halves, I haven't really seen anyone I like it as much, but I think Kevin and Babu is a, is a very good shout for that right back berth. Although he's more of an attacking right back, is he not?
1: But I think, I, th- I think that's kind of what we need. You know, we, we are right, our right, our fullbacks have traditionally always been bombing on fullbacks that have been able to deliver the ball into the box, yeah. And, and if we can get that again, like you say, and like Adoi. Failed to do on the weekend. You have attacking right backs that Mm. want to bomb on. Then you pin players back in their in their opposite halves. And Babo is also rapid, Mm. so that helps because he can get back. Uh, I think I think it would be a clever addition. I I hope Tony.
2: I hope Tony Khan is listening because this is excellent scouting knowledge coming on. Build a build a nice little portfolio. Nicholas Pepe is quite good as well for for a lil. If you want him, I think, we're, I think Tony? we struggle currently to pick up Nicholas
1: Pepe. The, uh, <laughs> That's true.
2: N- the unfortunate thing is, is that it, when when Fulham are in the Championship, we we're in a tr- really attractive proposition for anyone. You know, we outside. still are. But, uh, we still, I, are. I, we, we we're still a, are. We're a Premier League are. team in London. Like yeah.
3: you can you can come here and if you have six great months and we stay up, then you can. Yeah. It's a platform for your career. But, yeah. Someone like Misacho who's isn't exactly getting a huge amount of games for AC Milan might want to come over for 6 months, mm. test himself here. If he looks good, someone better might buy him. We might keep him if we stay up, who knows.
0: Yeah, I did I did, I did say earlier like what if uh, who would want to come to Fulham at a time like this? But actually, you know, we're still in touch and regardless of what we think it's like inside the camp and we know uh, what, you know, what's been going on because we've been watching every week, you know. We're still in touch and I think that we probably still are an attractive opposition to, uh, you know, young, hungry centre-backs, midfielders or whatever, whoever we want to attract. So Mm. we can pay quite a bit as well. Yeah. And we've got a bit of money.
3: You know what? Sammy said this as well, and I think this has gone under the radar a little bit. He tweeted this out at the weekend. He said it's still a miracle that we're in touch
2: with the rest of the teams around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It really is. Apart from our goal difference, if, if we win on Saturday, like, we'll be level and points with, like... That's the truth.
1: We're, we're lucky that we've happened to hit a very bad year in the Premier League because, you know, let's not beat around the bush. If we had this points total last year, we'd have already been cut adrift. Mm. But thankfully, there are a couple of teams that are nearly as bad as we are. So, <laughs> Isn't that a
0: damning indictment, though? That no, we, that is, you know, it
1: is, but it also means, it really that is. It means that if we do manage to turn something around and if Ranieri can get his claws into this side and turn things around reasonably quickly, there's there's plenty of scope for Fulham to get out of this. And it's it's not a good... It's not a good thing. We're not here like, oh, really <laughs> pleased about this. But ultimately, it's one of those things where if you actually look at it and you put together two, we got back to back wins. I know that seems a long way away right now. Mm-hmm. But back to back wins would lift us, you know, not, not just outside the area, but comfortably outside the relegation yeah. area. Yeah. And, and then that's the kind of scary bit about it because there's so many poor teams. The only issue is that now these teams around us are starting to win. And we need to get things on track quickly or we will get cut adrift.
0: That's why the giddy sort of guy inside of me says, I can't wait for these next, uh, these Christmas fixtures to come up because things can move and shift so quickly. But then, you know, the realist inside me says that we probably won't have enough chance to do it. Absolutely. Ben, Ben, we've got a couple more questions.
3: Yeah. um, The one that really intrigued me is from Premier Fulham. And he says, if you can go back to November the 14th when Slav was sacked, would you still sack him knowing the mess we're in now?
1: Yes, yeah, I, I would uh, the reason The reason I say yes is because you know everyone forgets that Slavisa hadn't signed a contract and there was still massive friction between you know what it was in the transfer market, and he was starting to do that thing where he throws his toys out of the pram again. If Slavisa had signed a contract for five years at Fulham, I would have said stick with him because. Then, if you go down to the championship, you can rebuild a squad around him, and all of those things. I think uh, people were saying, "Oh, I'd rather go down with Slavisa and, and stick with him than than you know, st- you know, necessarily stay up with Big Sam, or whatever." And, and I agree with that. But the problem was that if we'd gone down, Slavisa would have walked away, and he didn't sign a contract for a reason. You know, if he'd wanted to stick with the club and wanted to be this long-term savior for the club, he would have signed, but he didn't. And and the fact is that lost him one a lot of money. And two, you know, there was no guarantee. So what? We would have been if we got relegated in the Summer Under Slavisa, we would have been managerless and in the championship. <laughs> you know, that that's not a position that you want to be in, in in that kind of situation. So yes, I would, but only based on logistics. I'm
2: not I'm not entirely sure that he probably would have would have left if Fulham got relegated. And if he didn't, we would have been in such a prime position to get promoted right back up again because Slavica is really successful with Fulham. He clearly does really like the club. And I think the players like Slavisa as well. They like his coaching. They like the way the, the team play. They always said that, you know, we love the way that the team play. It kind of bonds us between the club and the fans and, and, and the team that yeah, are around sure. them. And I do, but it is a massive risk. Absolutely. But, you know, it doesn't take another uh, club to come along and just poach him anyway, contract or no contract, like any other player or manager. But you know i i think that i would like to build a club that does stick by someone that has been successful for us and and has got a proven track record and even now i kind of think to myself i wish we stuck with slavisa relegation or no relegation
1: i, I agree there, there's something the the other kind of flip of that coin i suppose is that if we were playing slavisa's style right and and playing the way that we played last year and and playing that possession heavy even though we were losing with it fine but we think about Huddersfield. Let's let's talk about that game, because Fulham didn't play Slavisa style. We played long ball up to a striker who had no one around him because Slavisa style was to get everyone compact towards the back and then you know pass our way through teams. But we played in that kind of element, but while playing long ball football. And if we were going to play long ball football anyway, we may as well have been underneath someone that's good at it, because that, you know we can't you can't play. A different style of football and then be like oh we should have kept la Vista because we were playing really nice attractive triangles mm-hmm. because that wasn't what was happening towards the end so so you stick with a manager and you stick with him if his style continues and he wants to be at the club mm-hmm. but i think there's two major issues that neither of those things was potentially
2: true and i think that I, I i totally get that and i just think that we probably were trying to do passing football like we usually did but we were absolute dog shit that day and <laughs> Like bad. every <laughs> every single short short pass was going absolutely nowhere oh, it was anyway. So, bad. so so bad. So
0: bad. True? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head at the Huddersfield game the worm was starting to turn. He was out of ideas almost. And, you know, let's not forget though it's not romanticized a bit, He had a full preseason. You know, whatever went wrong and what has gone wrong and what is wrong now is not blameless. So, you know, I think any other team in the in the position that we were in would have done the same thing and we said that at the time, you know. There was an article out a week before Slav went or a couple of days before Slav went saying how have no Premier League managers been sacked yet. So it's not as if we weren't patient and whether it's going right or not now, you know, it's one, it's too early, I think, to draw a judgment. Um, But also, you know, you've got to take the risk. Otherwise, you know, we were going one way and we're still going that way. But you still have to roll the dice because if you don't, then you will be looking back and saying, what if? Uh, And we we, know we gave it a try. With Slab, we all miss Slab and we all, we all respect him for what he did. But, you know, it had, things had to make a change. We've done it. And let's see whether it
3: pays, pays off or not. OK, our penultimate question comes from Alex Warnon. Apologies if I've butchered that your surname now, Alex. And he says, Hey Fulhamish, just thought I'd get in touch to hear your views about the club gifting two complimentary tickets to the resident of the Bishop's Park area. As my parents live locally, I've been fortunate to have benefited from free tickets to both the Leicester and West Ham fixtures. Over the years, my family have relished benefiting from these marketing gifts, but this time, given how we generally feel about the club pricing us out this season, we just felt this was an indication of how the club's marketing department high price ticket policy is failing. Naturally, we attended both matches. Who passed up a chance to go to the cottage for free, especially when the tickets would have otherwise exceeded £200? Yeah, we couldn't ask but ask the question, when will the club drop the tourist premium high ticket prices and evoke the spirit that led to the White Wall being a success back in May? Keen to hear your thoughts. Best wishes, Alex.
0: Drew, first. I didn't know this was going on. and It's quite interesting. and I'm kind of, I'm torn because, you know, on one hand, it's like, if they're being offered to local residents and then that could sort of then foster the next generation of fans or turn somebody into a Fulham fan that's not already won, they're in the area, that's possibly a great thing. But obviously, you know, that juxtaposed with the whole saga with the ticket prices this season, it, it, it's, uh, it's slightly funny to see that they're giving away tickets for free. Um I think, you know, with this, tourist tax that that it was described by the emailer there you know we we're a victim of our location if we're in the northeast or we're uh, you know somewhere else in the country they're not we're not getting charged these prices are we and there was a BBC article uh no oh, it was an FSF uh, issued survey I think about Premier League prices and you know the average fan is paying 30 quid I think it is mm. um the average Premier League fan is paying 30 pounds um which is all that says to me is that we're not bringing the average that high up because uh <laughs> We're certainly not paying £31. So,
2: I've got incredibly strong views about this, especially um, after this weekend, because, yeah, okay, fine, we're in the Premier League and supposedly the products we're being offered right in front of us is supposedly better. And they're you know, even double the price of what it was kind of average last season. And yet they can't even get the basics right. I was sitting... I was, I'd, I'd gone down to go to the toilet at half-time like three minutes before the... Uh, before the end of the first half, so I can at least get to the toilet, and then I waited at the bar to get me and my friends a drink, and I didn't get served until about two minutes before the um, uh, before the second half began. And not only that, the lady next to me, who I had a chat chat with in the queue because it was taking so long, who had a dismal experience at United. But that but that but that aside, when she finally got to the front of the queue, she goes, "Oh, the hot the hot water machine's not working. We haven't been able to sell serve anyone any hot drinks." Throughout the entirety of half time. And I was like, why didn't you shout that out? This lady's been standing in the queue with me for about fifteen fifteen minutes and they're just getting those basic things wrong. Is that worth fifty five pounds? Absolutely not. And it's not it was the hot hot water machine from all that kind of section. So it wasn't just localized to that particular point. They could have they could have had like a team leader there just shout out and not wasted everyone's time that that case. And it wasn't just her. There was a lot of people who were really annoyed by it. Yeah. And then we had a really long discussion about the t- how the ticket prices have just Risen astronomically. Fair enough, if it might be Liverpool that are playing at home or Man United, but this is West Ham at home, and you know they can't even get those basic things right. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of parity in between what the cheapest ticket is and what the most expensive is. You've got only twenty pounds in between the most expensive premium tickets on you know with inverted commas in between fifty five pounds for the t- like the corner front row of the Hammersmith End where you can't really get a really good view of the game is that is that reasonable absolutely not Yeah, I think it's absolutely disgraceful I don't like the way the club is going with these kind of things I don't like the strategy change they're absolutely shafting fans fair enough if they you know I do I do like if they started giving stuff out to to local fans and doing initiative for them I think that's a great idea but when you're shafting the fans who go week in week out and is that really rewarding loyalty no not at all
1: yeah, I got a message about this on Saturday morning from Matty, who, who said, I've just heard that Fulham are giving away free tickets to the people living near Motspur Park for being a good neighbour. I have done that in quote marks there, um, but we all know it's just because there's going to be no one there today. It's true, though. They've obviously gone, Jesus, we haven't sold enough today, and yeah. we're on Sky, or we're on BT. We could really do with getting some bums on seats, or we're going to look a little bit desperate. And you know that's a worry for for us because if that's the if that's their response their response isn't to lower ticket prices mm. or go okay, the next game we need to reassess our ticket strategy because this really isn't working and, and instead of that they just decide to sort of chuck a couple of free tickets to the people who live around that's not an answer it's not a strategy it's, you know it's, it reeks of desperation uh, and, and all of those things and look I'm, I'm completely with you I'm completely on board with getting tickets to local areas I think we should be pouring them into local schools mm, because yeah. you know let's get that next generation hooked and ready um, uh, but you know you can't get people hooked and ready if if then the next time they try and go they have to buy a ticket for them and their family and it costs 200 quid you know that's not how you do these things you you base your things in community initiatives you know there's so much said that I'm not going to go into the whole thing about a, a football club stands for football club you know not a, it's not a business model it's a it's it's a community rock it's the kind of basis of the local area it's in and there's so much been said about that, that I don't need to delve into it in mm-hmm. its full detail but ultimately if this is their answer then they know absolutely nothing about what this football club stands for yeah. and it is you're absolutely right it's a complete disgrace and that if they can't see that these ticket prices are driving genuine fans away then they're either being willfully blind or they don't care and both of those things are desperately worrying
2: yeah uh, completely well said and we can go about this unless we can go we can talk about this for a long long time and obviously we don't want to get into the reasons why because I hope everyone listening knows the reasons why we are you know spitting feathers about it but you know it is drive it is driving people away it is getting to the point where if I was if I was a, a person that's a as a big fan as I am you know that really wants to go to every gamer but I've got commitments that I couldn't get a season ticket i would think twice about spending money on going to fulham and that's coming from me you know um, it
3: almost is easier to go away from home than it is to actually go and get a season ticket at fulham or go for a one-off game at fulham because my cousin and i have are going to arsenal on on boxing day and we can get a pair of tickets for cheaper than you can get a ticket for fulham at home against bournemouth where we got absolutely trounced three 0 we had no chance we can get a pair of tickets for cheaper than West Ham. We can get a pair of tickets cheaper than the upcoming games as well. It's it's absolutely farcical. And as you said, Faz, there's so many parts of this club and the basic matchday experience that they absolutely cannot get right. There are points where on Leicester and this weekend at home, I went up to get some food. They had no hot food Um are your points where you want to get, like like you say, a hot tea or coffee? Oh, we've got no hot water. Come back at halftime. I'll come back at halftime. There's no water there to be seen anywhere, shape or form. It's as simple as how can you host a game where you haven't got enough food for people to eat, especially if it's an evening game. And you, when you walk up to the counter, you might as well not be there because they've got people behind it, but they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to serve you. And when they do, it's reluctant and it takes forever. And there are stories from this weekend's game coming out where people are in... The Hammersmith men wearing West Ham shirts, chanting West Ham, screaming irons in the toilets. And no one is getting them out of there. No one is doing anything. The stewards are blank, like plain blank refusing. We Our own fans aren't getting let into the ground. And, you know, to see people getting free tickets when you're spending the best part of 700 quid on a season ticket or £55 on a match ticket and it's behind a fucking pole. What are you meant to do? Casper, if you're listening
2: to this, let's talk. Because this can't continue. So we're um so we've been talking I've been talking a lot to the the supporters trust and they've been taking this to the last three meetings they've had with with members of the club, including Alistair McIntosh, that the club in the first two have come back and said, No, we've been we've been challenged by being more commercial, this is coming from the top, this is coming from wherever. And even in, and the last one they did come back. If you if you are a member and I I do encourage you to sign up and pay ten pounds for a membership, that um, they are starting to, to 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 listen a little bit because we started making noises about it. And we're not going to go away about it. Um, they they have said that well okay so we've set the ticket prices for this year, but you know there are meetings going to be happening. They're going to be setting things setting things, especially season ticket prices, um, which. To their credit, they did keep it a relatively low price, and they did set them before they knew we, got, knew we got to the Premier League. But I hasten to add, they, you know, they set the ticket season ticket prices before we knew where, which division we we're in. So it they were going to
3: charge us fifty-five quid for a home game in the Championship. Are they no, meant
2: season to? season tickets. Even so, so, that's huge. Yeah. So so the season ticket prices were were you know they were reasonable for all the fans that did stay, but they didn't actually send out. If you were a new fan, those season ticket prices until we're in the Premier League. And that's where you get ones like my my season ticket would have been £250 more expensive mm. if I was a new fan. And they said that they subsidised that with higher tic- match ticket prices, which is, you know, it's totally ludicrous. We only want We only want a reasonable offer. We're not asking for like the world. We don't want to be given them for free. We just want a reasonable ticket price and a reasonable service. And we wouldn't be sitting here complaining about it. If they charge us, a, you know, a normal match ticket price, thirty-five pounds, forty pounds, whatever you think it might be, and the rest of the things, and they just spent a little bit more money around the ground and just improving a little bit here and there, I can understand if they can come back and say, look, you know, that's operated by whoever catered. I think it's Delaware North of the the catering company that run all the stuff at the stu- uh, at the cottage. But they should be hounding. They should be absolutely hounding those suppliers to say, look, you should be training your staff better. You should be offering more. Uh, catering services you'd be doing this and that I mean from someone who's who who you know has a lot of experience with these kinds of things and I know the club isn't exactly like trying to sort of pinch pennies here and there just spend a little bit more just spend a little bit more and it just makes us you know it just it's not really going to harm, harm anyone just to spend just that tiny bit more just to improve the service a little bit that's you know it's not no one's ever said oh they got relegated they ordered too many hot dogs at half time during games right I think it's probably about time on that <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: sorry I couldn't go today's, no I know, I know.
1: And, but anyway. it's an important topic thank you very much Ben for uh, being the questions host as ever as ever they are sponsored by putney pies the finest pies in all the land just one last thing for you to do secretary ben which is name this podcast
3: white's ironed out
1: very very good um and, and all that is left for me to do is to say thank you so thank you very much to Farrell monk thank you very much jack thank you very much to drew heatley
0: thank you. i'm signing off for the year on pod duty so merry christmas everybody
1: and thank you very much to ben jarman thank you very much jack collins our Athletic. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish podcast. We've got an extra coming on Thursday, previewing the Newcastle game, and we will be back then. Take care.
2: ACAST powers
0: some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend
3: this spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! Every week, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: ACAST recommends.